Uh, I remember the playground like it was 24 years ago. Uh, I was standing on the school playground, and I, if you didn't, which it seems like 94% of you did not experience the playground, um, the playground is where you just learned the lessons. I mean, that was really the value of going to public school was the playground. That's where you learned everything. And this particular day that I remember, I, feel, I felt like every kid at Latonia Elementary School had their eyes set on me. I didn't realize it, but the third grade class, of which I was proudly a part of, had gone in, and I guess they weren't as proud of me as I was of them because they left me on the playground. But I was so consumed with playing with the older kids, the fifth graders, that I didn't realize it, and I was just like so excited to be hanging out with the older kids. Um, you know when you were in school when a kid would like, have age, or if you have school-age children, uh, when they catch a joke or a riddle or a fun fact, they never let it go. You know what I'm saying? They'll tell you the joke, and then they'll tell mom the joke, uh, and then the next day they'll come back and tell you the joke, and then they want to FaceTime grandmother and, call, and tell her the joke, and it's like, all right, man, it's not even funny. And then you realize that you're around your friends, and you're like, y'all... You want to hear a joke? <laughs> well, I was, here I am, third grade, around the fifth grade, rebel, because I'm not in class, I'm on the playground, and then the fifth graders start to quiz me. Oh, yeah? Put my IQ at test. They begin to ask me questions like this. What weighs more, 100 pounds of bricks or 100 pounds of feathers? And I'm like, duh, idiot, bricks. Well, what weighs more, a thousand-pound gorilla or a thousand pounds of thumbtacks? I'm like, gosh, you guys are stupid. You're going to middle school next year, and you don't know that a thousand-pound gorilla weighs more than a thousand pounds of thumbtacks? And they just kept going on and on, and I kept knocking these softball questions right out of the park. I'm thinking I'm going to go back to class with them, sit in the front row, and the teacher's going to ask me to help teach the class. These kids are so dumb. Until I realize that I look around and they are all laughing. I mean, I was so emphatic about the answer that these, uh, of these pretty easy questions. I was so like, I knew the answer for sure. But what I didn't realize is 100 pounds is 100 pounds and 1,000 pounds is 1,000 pounds. But the more advanced answer, which is obviously what I was going for because I was in the third grade and these kids were idiots. Um, they were as dumb as 100 pounds of rocks. <laughs> Anyway, uh, what I was going for, which is the more advanced answer, was that it wasn't so much about the weight as much as it is, was about the impact, like the, the practicality, because that's how, kind of how my brain works and has always worked. That, you know, I was wrapping my mind around that a thousand pounds of thumbtacks is a lot easier to carry than a thousand pound gorilla, and a and hundred pounds of uh, bricks, who needs 100 pounds of bricks? You know, it's easier to pull 100 pounds of feathers or, or whatever it is. And so the impact of the weight was much different than just the weight itself. So let me ask you this. What weighs more, a thousand acts of hate or a thousand acts of love? I mean, if a pound is a pound, then an act is an act, right? And so shouldn't they be equal, a thousand acts of hate or a thousand acts of evil or what First John will call darkness or, or a thousand acts of love or, as First John will call it, light? 
I mean, which has more impact? Which is easier? Which is more difficult? I mean, if we were to look at it plainly, yes, an act is an act, but man, I think there are, far, there are much more further-reaching implications than just, well, they seem to be the same. They'll cancel each other out. It's also on the school playground where you find out it's like where you learn initially uh, th this act of, like, um, uh, N.T. Wright calls it in, in his book, Simply Christian, an echo of a creator. He calls it an echo of a voice. But he's talking about a creator, and it's the act of justice. We see very clearly on the kids' playground, darkness and light. We, we find out very early in our life, from the very beginning, that there is always, every day, a battle for love and hate. And it's a very real battle that wages war every day in your life, uh, in the lives around you. And, and it's easy for us to say as Christ followers, man, I'm on the side of love, but, but we really need to evaluate every moment of every day. And that lesson we learn in the playground or in elementary school or wherever, those lessons haven't changed. The battle for love or the battle for hate is, is still raging. It is still at war. And every day, you have to choose. It's not a, uh, I'll just let this game pass by. I'm going to sit on the sideline. No. Every day, every moment, every conversation, every act, we have a decision to make, whether it's going to be love or hate. And, and I just want to kind of answer a portion of this question of, of, of uh, is a thousand acts of hate or a thousand acts of love? Look, hate is, is way easier. I mean, it's funnier. Right, like you're around a group of people and they start to go in on that guy and you're like, man, I got like 15 jokes that I've been sitting on. And you just let them fly and everyone thinks you are the man or, or one man. Uh, hate is way more widely accepted. Nobody's going to push back on you uh, for hate. No, no one's going to, I mean, uh, hate is uh, way more widely understood. People speak the language of hate in our culture because hate is just easier you don't honestly have to make a choice. All you have to do is make a choice not to love, and it's pretty black and white. And in the first century, it wasn't any different. And John, who writes the book of 1 John, realizes that, uh, he realizes that fact when he writes 1 John. So if you have your Bible, uh, we're going to ask you to open it up to, to 1 John. Uh, the, the words are beyond the screens, and you can use the YouVersion Bible app. You can follow along there, or the Restore Church app. Um, here's the reality, though. you got to have something. Man, if you're going to be a Christ follower, you got to have something that you can look at tomorrow to follow God's Word. And, and you know, these screens aren't going to be following you around. Um, so you you got to have it on your tablet, on your phone, or, or in your Bible to follow along. Hey, we got quite a bit of ground to cover in 1 John today. And so we're, gonna, we're not going to be like fine-tuned uh, lines. We're going to be painting with some broad strokes, and so if you can, can stick with me as we follow through First John. Remember why we're going through First John. It's a return to the basics. It's a return to, to the love notes, that, to how to love. Um, ultimately, we find our meaning from love in First John. We'll actually read the verses today. And so uh, what I'm going to ask you to do is because First John is such an impactful book, and we're not going to be able to talk about every single verse the rest of the way out. We have one more week next week, and we're going to cover uh, chapters 4 and 5, and so I'm going to ask you this week to, to cover chapters 2 and 3 on your own. Read those uh, on your own, and I'm going to actually ask you to do that every week. Hey, just because I say it, 
well, it, it should mean something to you, but uh, go home and read the Bible. Test it. See if it's true. Do that with any sermon you ever hear, anything you see online. Now, if it's on the Internet, it's true. You don't have to do that. But any sermon you hear preached, man, go back and, and read the Word. Dig in for, for yourself. Find out if it's true. Uh, recently, this is weird, uh, a lot of you know that I, I am big into competition. I'm, I love competition. I love sports. Uh, I'm kind of a sports nut. Just recently, I, I started getting into boxing. And I have always thought that I would love to box, except for the part of getting hit in the face. I do not want to get hit in the face. Uh, if, if you told me, dude, you could be a boxer and not get hit in the face, I would do it, except for the working out part. That's not really, that doesn't seem fun to me either. But if every day is a fight, like that, that's, and that, that's how I think a lot about my Christian faith, is every day is a fight. Um, Les Miles, who's a football coach for the uh, University of Kansas, his big mantra is just finish. And if you're in first place or last place, just finish. And so, man, I always come back to the Christian faith as a, as a like, competition sports. Paul does the same thing. He talks about racing and, and running a race and trying to win. Man, I, I think for us as, as Christ followers, as, as Restored Church, being for Jacksonville, as being a church that just doesn't stop, a church for the rest of us, every day it is a fight. It's a fight for love. And, and as we talk about this, um, as we talk about this fight, let's imagine, or let's picture John, uh, old man John. He's an old man when he writes First John. He's got wisdom. Let's imagine him as our trainer. Now, if you don't know much about boxing, the trainer is not just the one that's in the gym telling you to do more push-ups or more jumping jacks. He's with you every step of the way. He's teaching you technique. And then when, when it's time for the fight, he's in your corner. He's, he's yelling out advice in the middle of the fight. When you come back to the corner, he's the one uh, giving you instruction and strategy. He's on your side. And the most important a trait that a trainer can have is to have care for his fighter. Last Saturday uh, is really what piqued my interest in fight. There was uh, the heavyweight, uh, the heavyweight division of boxing is back, and they say that it's it's been back since the first time since uh, Mike Tyson. But there was this uh, this fight between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. Uh, it was highly anticipated. Their first fight ended in a split decision. There is no winner, which isn't really competition. So every, every boxer, boxing fan was like uh, on the edge of their seat waiting for fight number two. Now, every boxer wants to win, right? They want to knock the opponent out. They don't want to go to, they don't want to make it a decision to put it in the hands of the judge. They want to knock the other guy out. And every boxing fan wants to see that. Um, well, after the fight began, this, this past Saturday, not yesterday, but the week before that, uh, Tyson Fury was just, uh, I don't know how else to say this, but other than the scientific term of competition, he was beating the brakes off Deontay Wilder. It was like, this is not good. He was stumbling around. This is why a lot of people don't watch boxing. And, and then all of a sudden, from Deontay Wilder's corner, a towel flew into the ring. You know the phrase, throwing the towel means to quit. But the job of the trainer, the first and foremost job of the trainer is to have the care for his fighter. And while Deontay Wilder still wanted to stay in there and fight, the best thing for him to do at that moment was to not get his face punched in anymore. 
And John has the same intention for the church, not for us to quit, but he does have the same care for the church. Uh, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 7, it says it like this, Dear friends, or, or maybe your translation says, uh, Dear children, or maybe your translation uses the word beloved. I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you have, uh, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message that you have heard. Yet I'm writing to you a new command. It's truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. He, he says, dear friends, like I said, in the English Standard Version, it calls them beloved. And in the verses that follow, and really in the rest of the book, from a, from a, a wisdom perspective, a mentor or a trainer, he encourages all Christians that, to, that you should stay in the light. Love one another. As a Christ follower who's in the fight every day, you have to love each other. You can't hate each other and stay in the light, he says. He encouraged them that through the message that they've heard because of John's preaching and others, that they can know who God is, that they can love one another, that, that they can overcome evil. And because of the word of God that's in them, they know that to be true. And the trainer who, who has care for his fighter on the brain, he's trying to protect protect and prepare his people for the fight. So knowing that this is coming from a, a place of love and care, we get to verse 15. Chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or anything in it. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Ouch. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, they come not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Here's training point number one that John's trying to teach us. And here's number one. It's you have to prepare for the fight. The temptation for every fighter every day is to wake up and take the day off, to not train, to not get up at 4 a.m. and go into the gym, to, to not hit the speed bag or the punching bag. The temptation for every fighter is to choose pizza over salad or, or the run over a nap uh, or, or the nap over the run. It's to choose donuts over eggs, uh, which I would just choose both. The temptation for us in, in our fight for love is, is choosing... Um, is, is choosing love and not the difficulty that it takes to, to do, um, to, to hate. I mean, it's so easy. We, we could choose the convenience of hatred instead of the fight for love. We can choose every day the desires of the flesh, the, the ones that please us instead of God or, or others. The desires of the eyes which got uh, Adam and Eve in trouble and the, the pride of life. Hatred's easy, but love takes work. It takes investment. It takes sacrifice. It takes putting in the hard training. And it has to become a habit uh, of yours and mine to choose love every time. And it, it's difficult. Um, it's, it's difficult to do. I mean, it's easier to choose impatience over patience. It's easier to choose sharp words instead of kind ones. It's easier to have bursts of anger instead of giving someone the benefit of the doubt. It's, it's easier to yell instead of listen. It's easier to gossip instead of sitting in silence. It's easy to be greedy and vain 
over the discipline of saying no? Paul says it this way, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This verse came up in our life group this past week. I want you to know something. If you've never noticed it before, uh, living sacrifice does not make sense. I mean, logic says that if you sacrifice something, it is dead. It cannot be alive, but only in Christ. And so we're to offer our bodies as, as a sacrifice that is completely alive in Jesus. Well, how do you do that? Paul's very practical in verse 2. He says, do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you notice what Paul tells us to do like, in order to know what God's will is? How do you avoid falling into the trap of loving the things of the world or, or being a part of the world? Renewing your mind. Renewing your mind. And man, if there's anything, well, there's a lot of things our culture can't do that are productive. But one is to think. We have lost the ability to critically think because we have the internet at our fingertips, right? And we have our, our eyes on our blue lights, our phones, our tablets, and so we, we have lost the inability as a culture to have critical thoughts. So why study God's word? Why, why even try to renew our mind? I mean, the, the, the thing that is true is that what comes in is what comes out. What comes in, what, what you allow to come into your life is what will come out every time. And so what conversations are you a part of that you shouldn't be? I mean, what, what, what friends, or let's do this, what friends are you allowing to influence what comes in? What kind of conversations, what are they about? Who are they about? What kind of music are you listening to? Now, I, that's like so like youth group level, like what kind of music are in your headphones? But man, that changes the way we think about, about people, about confrontation, about conflict, about men, about women, about our children? What, what podcasts are you listening to? What's in your Netflix queue that you haven't watched, but you can't wait to get home to see it? See, all of those things are coming in, and eventually, at some point, when we have to make the choice to love or to not, what kind of, how, how are we going to do it? That's what's going to come out, is what we allowed to come in. When the fight gets heavy, when it's all on the line, when you and your, when you and your wife are, are in, the hit, in the midst of like this, this argument, or y'all know what's coming next. My grandfather will call it intense fellowship. Well, are, are you going to be sarcastic and snarky? Are you going to try to cut her legs out from under, just make her cry so you can feel like you won? Or, or are you going to love? Um... And we have to choose every day to prepare for the fight for love. Here's a training step. See how clever I can be sometimes? Training step for the fight. Look, protect what comes in. Uh, Under Armour. You, you know Under Armour? Remember Under Armour? I just like saying Under Armour. Protect this house was their mantra. Protect what comes in. Uh, so you can protect what comes out. Well, let's keep reading. First John chapter 2, verse 20. All right, let's get... Uh, 
let's, uh, we're, this is the tough section of 1 John. Verse 20 says this, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Verse 22, who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. So without reading on, you probably already have. Are we talking about one person? Are we talking about multiple people? I think he says whoever, which means whoever. And then he says such a person is the Antichrist. Denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you, will, um, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And that is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you and those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And you do not need... To you do not in need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught, you, taught to you, remain in him. Okay, remember the context that we talked about in week one about 1 John. There are people there that are trying to teach some harmful things about the gospel. And so Paul, I mean, not Paul, John writes in such a way that says, man, Look, there's people that are trying to teach you all of these things. But we've already taught you what you need to know. Like, don't let those things come in, right? Protect what's coming in. Transi uh, um, training number two says this. This is not a fair fight. Here's why. Um, this is not a one-on-one -on -one fight. Our culture absolutely loves to hate. I mean, you remember the 2016 election, and you're watching the, the uh, ads come across for the 2020 election, and how much of them are full of love right before someone says, and I approve this message. Here's the reality. Every day you wake up and you leave, it's an assault on your ability to love. When you go to work, the things you hear, when you turn on the television, when you turn on uh, Spotify, when you turn on whatever, it's an assault on your fight toward love. And every day the odds are against you to win. I mean, our culture expects hate. There's an expectation of discontent and an expectation of impatience and an expectation of really just hate. I mean, you're in a long line in the grocery store, and, and you're fumbling through. Your, maybe you're one of those couponers. You're trying to find the coupons, or you, you can't get your cash back into your wallet, or, or you can't find the card that you want to use. And what's the person at the end of the line thinking? Good night. Can't we get, you know, we're at Walmart. And we can't get, we only have four aisles that are open. Well, why didn't you have your money ready before you got up there? I mean, they are in the back of the line, and they're so impatient, and all you're trying to do is check out. Or, or how about when you accidentally cut someone off in traffic, and they pull up next to you at the next light. What are they going to say? Are they going to say, hey, man, no problem. Don't worry about it. It happens every time. Or it happens sometimes. You know, don't, don't worry about it. You're, you're good. Or when you get shortchanged at McDonald's and you go back up there for your dollar and 32 cents. 
Like that person that's working there, they're, they're, expect, they're expecting to get blown up on that, that you're going to let it go on them. But what if, what about you when you're at the back of the line? Or when you're behind the person in the grocery store? You see, you have a choice. Hey, look, take your time. It's not a big deal. I'm all right. How about when the person cuts you off and you get up next to them at the stoplight? You're not searching through Spotify for a ludicrous song to roll your windows down and play it, right? No, no, no. You're like, hey, look, it's fine. Don't worry about it. It's good. Um, and, and not to do it sarcastic. It's fine. It's all right. It happens to everybody. Or when you get shortchanged. Hey, look, I know you probably had a tough day. It's all right. It's not a big deal. Let's talk about the Antichrist for a minute. Everybody hold on. The word anti just means in opposition to Christ. And so when you read here and you're looking for the context, the contextual clues of who the Antichrist is, can I just help our culture? It's not one person. If we just break down the simple structure of Antichrist, and that's whoever denies who Jesus is, then it's not just one person. Y'all, Hillary Clinton is not the Antichrist. Yes, Donald Trump is not the Antichrist. Uh, whoever, you, whoever you have decided or deemed to be the Antichrist, Scripture says that the one who opposes Jesus, who says, now, their personal Christian beliefs are on them, all right? But look, as a culture, let's stop pointing to just some, some person and calling them the Antichrist because we don't like them. Actually, what First John tells us is you can't hate anyone and walk in the light. So who's our fight against? Ephesians chapter 6 tells us this, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of heaven in the heavenly realms. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against Satan and his dark world and the spiritual forces of evil. Um, you know, I think for us, if, if we're gonna if we're gonna be able to get through the fight, right? If we're gonna if we're gonna get through the unfairness of the battle, because it's not one on one. You know, we've got to work to love even when others aren't. Now, there's a point in a fight where a, a boxer gets hit above the eyes, and and there's sometimes a laceration, a cut. And it stings every time he comes back to the corner and they spray some saline solution in it and, and it kind of runs down his eyes. There's, there's blood sometimes in the middle of, you know, like coming over your, uh, your vision. And they tell every fighter that when they get to that point of the fight, you have to look past this round. And you've got to get ready for the reward at the end of the fight. Every trainer will call their fighter the champ. You're the champ. Let's go. You can do this champ because you've got to keep the belt on your mind or the prize. And I think for us, we have got to keep the prize at mind, not the current round that we're in. Maybe you feel like in your battle for love you have bloodied eyes. Maybe you feel like you have knives in your back. Maybe you feel like you have a callus around your heart and the inability to love. Look, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on eternity because it is so worth it. 
So if you want what your training would be for this step, it's found in the next couple of verses in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, therefore put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, you can stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up your shield of faith with which, um, with which you can extinguish all the flame, flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Hey, let's keep training for the fight of love. And John, First uh, John chapter two, verse twenty-eight says this. And now, here we go again, dear children. Like terms of care, continue in Him, so that He, so that when He appears, um, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of Him. Chapter 3, so chapter 2 turns into chapter 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and, and, what, we will, uh, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Uh, training tip number three is to fight with confidence. Um, every fighter believes they can win. No fighter ever goes into the ring thinking they're going to lose. So you fight with confidence. But what happens if you've been knocked down? What happens if you've tried to love, you've put yourself out there, you said, man, I'm going to get into a life group, you got in a life group, you get developed good friendships, solid friendships, and then you find out that they're gossiping behind your back. What happens when you put yourself out there, you care for somebody over and over and over just to find out that they're ready to tarnish your name at any moment? What happens when you've loved and loved and loved, but it seems like no one loves you back? So I'm telling you to get in the ring and fight with confidence, and you're like, I have none. I mean, when it comes to the arena of love, it's like it's all one-sided. Um, you can't get in the ring to fight someone. Now, again, I'm telling you, I've never been in a fist fight in my life, and that's not a challenge. I'm not trying to be in one. But what, they, what, what I would imagine is you can't get in the ring ready to fight thinking about your last loss. You can't get in thinking about, man, I got knocked out in my last fight, or, or man, the, the, uh, you know, I, I really got beat up and lost in a decision. Or, or you can't get into a life group saying, I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm, I'm not going to get to know other people because of what happened the last time. You say, man, I'm not going to pursue my faith because I fell back the last time. You, you can't do that. What, what we need to do is fight with confidence. Because you're going to doubt every conversation, every movement, every time someone promises you something, every time you confide in someone, you're going to doubt. And eventually, shame will win. And for a fighter, shame has no place in the ring. I mean, it is confidence. You're all in. And when it comes to our ability to love, look, we have got to love with confidence. We've got to get in there ready to love because it is the power that God has given us to fight back against these 
evil forces uh, against Satan. It's the only thing that's going to change the city where we live, the, the, the relationships you have, the, the home in which you live is fighting with confidence because of love. I mean, when your kid says something negative about themselves, and I hate myself, no one loves me, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, why does it sting us parents so bad? One, because it's not true, but two, the most dangerous thing is that they might believe that. Like, we want them to fight with confidence. That fight last week, um, the, the um, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder fight, you know, it, it's going on and on. It's all this hype. I watched a video of a guy who filmed it live, so I didn't have to pay for the pay-per-view. And, and uh, the guy makes a bet with the guy behind him. He said 100 bucks for the. Then they shake hands. 30 seconds in, they lean up, 200 bucks. I'm like, sheesh. Before the end of the first round, these two people who didn't know each other before had bet $500 on this, on this fight. This was a big deal. They go at it. They're, they're just throwing these punches. I mean, left and right, left and right. And, and Deontay Wilder, they, they, throw the, um, they throw the towel in, so a fight's called, and, and they stick a microphone in the man's face, right? They're trying to get this live interview, which is crazy. And they say, you just lost. How do you feel? Like, dude, you are really betting that he doesn't beat you up right now. <laughs> hey, man, how do you feel? He's still got blood coming from his face. And they're asking him, how do you feel? How do you feel about them throwing in the towel? And he said, I, I don't like it because I'm a warrior and I fight. Now, what if we had that mentality? What if we took that mentality into our relationships, into our marriages, that, that we're going to fight, not each other, but we're going to fight for what love looks like. We're going to fight for grace and kindness. We're going to fight for compassion. We're going to fight for the right words. We're going to listen. We're going to fight against ourselves and our, and our pride. At, at work, we're going to fight for patience. We're going to fight for grace. We're, we're going to fight to, to not blend in with the world, but to be transformed and show that off. We're going to fight. We're going to fight for our kids to show them what a good example of a, a godly dad looks like and a good example of what a patient mom looks like. We're going to fight for our neighbors who drive you crazy because they never cut their grass. That's me. Cut it for them. Especially if you're my neighbor. <laughs> You know, we're, we're going to fight. Every fighter thinks they can win. But for us, we know that we have. That Jesus has already walked out of the grave. The war is over, and it sucks that you have to fight the battle you're fighting. It sucks that you're having to fight a battle in your home that no one else really wants to fight. It sucks that you're fighting an internal battle that no one outside of your life can understand. That sucks. But fight like a champ. You're the champ. Let's get the blood out of your eyes. Let's look forward to the goal and fight. And good thing is that John tells us how. Look in verse 3 to 16. He says, this is how we know what love looks like. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can he love God to be in that person? Dear, ch dear children, do not love with words and speech, but with words and in truth, but with action and in truth. 
I want you to look at verse 18 again. He says, dear children, let us not love with words. It's almost like there's an insinuation that it's, he's not saying don't use your words. Uh, but it's like, let us not love with words or speech only, but with actions and in truth. You've got to fight. And how do you fight for love? It seems so like backwards that you put others before yourself. You fight for other people. The same way that Jesus did in verse 16, it says he laid down his life. If you keep reading, you'll read verse 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what he pleases. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. And how simple is that? Verse 23, to believe in the name of the son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he gave Put it all on the line. Put it all on the line. And, and for one time, put it all on the line, not for yourself. Put it all on the line for each other. Yeah, the, 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 person who, uh, the person who's quick to talk about you on social media, put it on the line for them. Love them. You don't have to, uh, hate can't drive out hate. What's Martin Luther King say? Only love can do that. Darkness can't drive out darkness. Only love can do that. Put it all on the line. For, for, for the person who doesn't look like you, think like you, or vote like you, love them anyway. Love the person who, who doesn't really seem like they deserve love or have ever been loved before. Put it all on the line for them. At Restore, we, we've said that from the beginning. That we were going to be a, a church for the rest of us. And that we were going to recklessly love people, even the people who don't love us back. We decided that we were going to be an imperfect church, which qualifies us to be a good church. There's no, no one perfect in here. And you know, that's tough. It's tough to love people who are not perfect. But that's what makes this place so special. Is not one of us are perfect. And so we're going to put it all on the line. And I... Just imagine with me for a minute. Um, Dad, if you woke up every day and you decided you were going to fight, not for yourself, not for your rest, not for your dignity or your pride, but for your wife. And every decision you made through the course of the day was going to show her what love looked like. Hey, Dad, what, what happened if every day when you woke up, you decided you were going to fight for your kids? Instead of getting home and kicking your feet up because you've had a long day, hey, look, I get it, I know. But you were going to dig deep, you were going to fight. Hey, Mom, Mom, what happened if you woke up and instead of just trying to make it to bedtime, play the clock out situation, you fought? Like you, you just 
gripped your knuckles like white knuckle fisted. I'm going to fight. Not your kids, not, not them. But you decided to fight for patience, fight for kindness. Show your, show your sons the, the qualities they look for in a wife and show your, show your daughters what a Proverbs 31 woman looks like. Wives, what if you decided that you were going to fight for your husband? What if we were going to decide that we're going to fight for our, our workplace? People who share a cubicle for us. Hey, what if we decided that we were going to fight for Jacksonville? who no one wants to be here, but Jacksonville's the greatest city in the world because we make it that way. Because we're going to love the hell out of people. Literally, love the hell out of people. That's why we're here, and that's what we're going to do. Now imagine, look, we're about to celebrate our third birthday, and I, wanna, I just want to be, I'm so proud, because in three years, we've made a difference. We have made a difference. What's it going to be like in 10 it's going to be like in 15 years, the amount of love that's going to transform this city. I'm just going to ask you to fight. Let's pray. Hey, God, I, I thank you for fighting, uh, fighting for us. God, fighting, fighting for me. There are times when um, I probably don't deserve it, uh, but yet you fight. God, there are probably times where it's inconvenient to fight for me. Um, but, God, you choose, choose it anyway. So, Lord, as we sit here and maybe there are doubts, uh, maybe there's a lack of desire, maybe there's just a lack of value in, in, in other people to love, but, God, I pray that you can help us to, to dig deep and to look like you and to love like you to fight like you. God, help us, man. I mean, I mean it's, it's difficult to fight back against the powers of this dark world and the rulers of the air. God, it's, it's hard when we're surrounded by people who are anti-Christian, anti-Christ. And it's not fair sometimes, but God, help us to fight. To challenge us to look toward the end. God, I pray that you help us as a church to just dig deep. God, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.